I'm Ron Algar-Watt, and this is More Bits. This is a talk with my friend Irene, recorded in October of 2011. I admire the hell out of Irene's work ethic, and we had a nice long chat that essentially revisited the subject of getting shit done. And we stopped because we both had shit to do. Hello, friends. I'm recording from my brand new home recording studio, and I want to give you a heads up that there may be airplanes flying overhead. I haven't figured out how to shoot them down yet, so bear with me. Um, here to talk about productivity again, sort of a follow-up. Uh, the last thing that I posted a few weeks ago, uh, talking to my friend Bob, was from like two years ago, and I figured, uh, well, my output, my my outlook has changed a bit, and I wanted to talk to someone who, who had a bit of a different uh, perspective. So uh, Irene is joining me. Thank you for that, Irene. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Um, and rather than, last time I framed it as sort of a debate, as sort of between uh, Bob's approach, which is, you know, uh, get everything right and do it, you know, well and polished, versus mine, get it done. That was a nice sort of, uh, you know, point-counterpoint. You and I m- are more on the same page, I think, so I thought it might be interesting to, to take that approach this time. Um, you are, as, as I am, someone who gets things done, and I thought it might be interesting to, to discuss that. I sure do like getting things done. Yes. We we talked about this. We, we actually have recorded this once before, and we ran into some technical issues. But um, great recording, too. You guys really missed a great show. <laughs> yes, we will forever mourn that recording. Yes, we will. A moment of silence, please. Um, but one of the things we had talked about before was how it's, it's almost sort of working around our... our neuroses, our mental illnesses, are things that drive us to be sort of obsessive and, and compulsive and that sort of thing, and using those to our advantage. And I think that that's as good a place as any to start. Oh, yes. The practice of the neurotic writer or drawer or artist. Right. I think I think these, you know, the principles we're talking about pretty much apply to anyone. But um, I think the reason, well, first of all, let's let's talk about, like, credentials for lack of a better word calling you someone who gets stuff done i think we should define what that means oh you mean the list of things i've accomplished i sure i mean if you'd rather me read it if you're trying to be modest i understand but uh no i I think it might be best if you read it because i'm gonna forget (laughs) something important again well it was interesting that we talked about this before and, and you talked in terms of school which you know you're working on your master's thesis right now and it's interesting that you mostly talked about that. And I said, uh, you do realize that, that you and my wife uh, had a blog for nearly two years that you managed to update twice a week without fail. And you're like, oh, yeah, I did that, too. Like, it didn't even occur to you that that was one of the things that you did. Nope. It just That was just something I did every week. I never really counted it as, you know, productivity because it came part of it was part of my routine as, you know read a book, write a review every week. It wasn't like, oh, I better produce something. It was, you know, just what I did. Well, and that's that's kind of, I think, working backwards, kind of, you know, that's where you and I are, is I know every week I want to put out two things. I have two podcasts, on, you know, an episode of this and an episode of that. And it, it does become sort of, you know, automatic, and you don't really think about it as, as something, you know, oh, I have to produce something. It's just part of part of your routine. But... I think some people have a problem getting to that. I think, you know, you and I have both seen a lot of blogs that start out with a few posts or a few good things, and then it just kind of trails off. And I don't know, the pattern I see is someone starts out and says, I'm going to blog every day. I swear I'm going to. And then they make five or six posts. Then they go away for a while, and then they rediscover it a month later, do a couple more posts, and then they just disappear forever. 
Yeah, which is why for my like current blog, my more or less sort of personal blog, is I never made a commitment that I would make X amount of posts. It's just when I have stuff to say, I have a right. place to say it. Absolutely. But the thing that I think worked for both of us in, you know, you with Girl and Book Action and me with Sarcastic Voyage and later Post-Nomic Horror is you have kind of a schedule. You have kind of a, this comes out once a week, every week. And if you work ahead, that's great. If you schedule thing, you know, whatever. But you know you have that deadline. You have that self-imposed deadline based on what you know you're capable of. Yes. And, you know, by putting it out there, you have an audience. So the assumption is is that audience is waiting with bated breath for you to have new content up. <laughs> Ideally, yes. Um, and that was actually something that I had talked about in the, in the previous um, discussion with Bob was one of the things that I said two years ago. I was listening to that for the first time after recording it and I like that guy sounded kind of strange to me the, the guy with my voice because it's like I was talking about how I did it for an audience and how the feedback was great and while that's true that that has since become sort of superfluous it's it's great to have but you can't really do it for that you have to do it for the you know for its own sake and like you say it's good to have people expecting it but it's different to do it for their input because you're going to find yourself inevitably disappointed. I, which is not to say that, you know, our audience in particular has been very supportive and very, you know, hands-on and they participate a lot and it's great, but you still can't rely on that. That's just, that's not healthy, I don't think. Yeah. I think the thing about Girl on Book Action was that we started doing it just for the sake of doing something and, you mm -hmm. know, writing regularly and, um, you know using our brains, you know, on a regular basis. And we thought we'd have, you know, like two or three readers, you know, like our really close friends or whatever. And mm -hmm. we had, you know, more than that. So we, were, so we were kind of excited. So, you know, that sort of kept us going longer than we actually had intended to do it for. Right. And as you say, that kind of gives you accountability. Like even if no one says anything, you know, you have people out there that will read this and you want to deliver it when you said you would. For me, that's a, that's a point of personal pride. Even if nothing, nobody ever mentions it, I want to be able to say, you know, I said I would post some one thing every Friday, and I did. Yeah, I think accountability is one of the ways that you can really motivate yourself to get stuff done. You have to be accountable to someone. It right. doesn't matter who you're, who you make yourself accountable to, as long as you respect them enough to keep whatever deadlines you set. Oh God, I have to respect math. Well, I, I, I assume you respect your audience. Okay, Whew. okay. That was like, I, I dodged a bullet there. Because wait a minute, okay, I know you and Amanda respect each other, but that, nobody said anything about respecting the, the person you're working directly with, because that's, uh, whoa, no. <laughs> well, we wouldn't want that now, would we? No, of course not. I certainly wouldn't admit it out loud. <laughs> a whole suit of armor would fall off. Um, no, but I, di I did see... The, you guys' arrangement, sort of from the other side, obviously cohabitating with your with your uh, collaborator. You know, she would every I think it was every Friday jump on, and you guys would edit each other's stuff, and you would go over ideas, and you know, just seeing you regularly making appointments and and being accountable to each other, like you say, it really helped. Yeah, having having a partner in crime really helps. Absolutely. And the thing is, the thing that we come back to every time is, I think I've mentioned this before, is 
that essay by uh, Merlin Mann is his name. He does a, diff- a bunch of different podcasts and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and it's called First Care. And I'll link to this. I've linked to it before, I'm sure. Um, which basically, the, the it boils down. He, re- he wrote it really well, and it's, it's, it's worded you know, quite well, and you should read it. But it boils down to people who get things done do so because it's important to them. Because it's important enough to them that they put aside the things that don't matter. And concentrate on what's most important to them. Yep, and I think I've read that, and I have it bookmarked. And every time I get a little bit discouraged or frustrated, I sort of go back and I reread it, and I think about, well, what is it that is important to me? And if the answer is still, well, getting stuff done, then I sort of try to rearrange things so I can, you know, be more productive again. Well, and that's the thing. Getting things done, I guess it depends on how you define that. But if you say... For instance, I'm committing to doing this blog for a year, once a week for a year. Then that means that is a priority to you and you have to put things aside that might be, you know, frivolous or distracting or whatever. Yeah, and I think the big thing about the blog is right now we're changing it over so we're doing a monthly podcast instead of Mm -hmm. weekly reviews. And that came out of the fact that, you know, we were sort of stagnating and we didn't really care about doing it anymore it's sort of like it was our routine so we did it but we weren't excited about it anymore so we found a different way to do it and then now we're you know we have tons of ideas again and we're really you know excited about doing it again and you know it's also freed up a lot of time because i don't have to read at least one book a week and write a review for it so you know well and you and you have a, a pretty rigorous um academic schedule right now effectively you know equal to a full-time job so you know finding time to read an entire book every week and then write i mean what a thousand words more uh usually my reviews were somewhere between 500 and a thousand words depending Mm -hmm. on how much i had to say about a book sometimes i didn't have that much to say which was problematic too because you know do i read another do i try to read a different book and write about something you know that excites me a little bit more you know, there wasn't necessarily time for that. Yeah, and that's the problem we run into on post-stomach horror sometimes, is we'll watch an episode of Star Trek, and it, it was perfectly middle of the road. It wasn't hateable enough to the point where I can make jokes about it. It wasn't awesome enough that I could, you know, go on about how great it was. It was just sort of, yep, this existed, and, and it's hard to justify to myself that I'm doing something when I have nothing to report, but sometimes it just happens, you know? Yeah. So not not all books are, you know, super exciting. Well, I mean, but I think you'll agree with me doing re- regular reviews for a while. It's just as much fun, if not more fun, to get the claws out and to tear something to pieces as it is to, to love something. Yeah, I think my favorite review is probably one of the meanest I ever wrote, so <laughs> definitely. I, I did tend to enjoy when you got mean, I have to say. You know, I tried really hard to stop getting mean once I realized that hey, authors spend a lot of time online. <laughs> they might read what I said about them, and I don't want to hurt... I don't actually want to hurt anybody's feelings. It's just... I, I read some really terrible books. Yeah, but the thing is, if you're talking about accountability, I think your readers would expect you to give an honest assessment, and if you're if you're skittish about ever saying anything negative, they're probably not going to take you that seriously. Well, what I tried to do is, if I didn't like a book, I tried to say that it wasn't very good without being mean about it because some of my reviews were really mean (laughs) yeah but it's so much fun to be mean it is really fun to be mean and 
the one that I'm thinking of particularly, like, really deserved it. I mean, it was <laughs> just a, just a, oh, I can't even talk about it. It was so bad. Well, and, and, you know, in the interest of what you just said, I won't ask you what the title is, but I bet if people went to Girl and Book Action and, and searched your archives, they could find it. Yeah, it's um, definitely on the um, summary post I did of my uh, best <laughs> oh, and right. worst. You guys, you guys summarized, like, your best and worst, right, exactly. Yeah, so um, you, you can find it on there. It's def- it's obvious which one I'm talking about. Right. Um, okay, so, so you, you did that. And you've you've completed uh, National Novel Writing Month. What was it? Two years in a row. Yep. Um, choosing not to do it this year because of your heavy schedule, but you have completed it successfully, which I tried once and failed, and that's it. So I mean, you you got me there. But I mean, as far as credentials, as far as getting stuff done, you you're definitely you know I consider you. And again, I know I sound arrogant bragging about this, but this is one of the few things I think I'm really good at. I see you as one of my only equals in you know working hard and getting things done and doing everything you say you're going to do. Or at least I make, you know, a, you know, Herculean effort to get the things done that I say I'm going to get done. Sometimes it doesn't work out, like with my most recent attempt at, you know, writing short stories regularly. It just, I've tried, it just, it hasn't worked out because I'm just too busy. Well, sure. And that's, that's when it comes down to, again, caring and priorities. And when you realize I have all of these things going on in my life, I can't keep them all going at once. Something's got to go. Then you look at what's important and what you don't have time for. And usually the bottom of the list is the thing that has to go. And while it's important to you, not everything can be top priority. So obviously, you know, something had to go and it was that. Yeah. But, you know, it still bothers me that it was that. It well, really does, but I just don't have a choice right now. And that's that's the thing I wanted to briefly mention as well, is I committed to writing and posting uh, my novel, which I've been actively and passively working on for something like 20 years now. Um, and a few of you, this, this isn't something a lot of people followed, and, and that's fine. I'm not complaining about that because it was, you know, it's not finished yet and I kind of abandoned it. But there are a few people out there who rightfully give me crap from time to time. Hey, what about this? And I had to go through that same process. It's like, you know what? I'm really enjoying doing post horror. Plus, that doesn't really feel like work to me. Kind of like what you were saying about the blog. Like, no, it's just something I do every week. And I'm really enjoying the direction we're taking with Sarcastic Voyage right now. And between that and my job and trying to have some semblance of a, you know, of a social life, of a, of a, of a home life with my, you know, my wife, it's like, well, there's no more time to do that. And it's unfortunate because... It's one of the rare times that I've overextended myself, and I feel kind of ashamed of that. Yeah, the short story thing really bothers me. And, and, you know, I am consistently, at least, you know, once a week sitting down and writing a paragraph or two of short story. It's just, it takes a very long time to finish a story if you're only writing a couple of paragraphs a week. Well, yes. Plus, I don't know how you stay focused on something like that. Me, it kind of goes in bursts, and I get, you know... I get an idea out, and then I come back and, and kind of tidy it up later. But I don't know that I could write a paragraph at a time. I think that would torture me. Well, it's it's usually like I have like a... I'm really struggling with sort of getting the story sort of to where I want it to be. So I'll have like a moment of inspiration about, you know, a scene. So I go and I hammer out that scene in like a paragraph or two, just sort of like the bare bones so it's there. Right. And then I put it away because I just don't have time to flesh it out right now. Yeah, that's actually very similar to my to my process now that you mentioned that. Um, today I had an idea for a sketch which, you know, will eventually end up on Sarcastic Voyage. It'll just be a uh, like a one-minute thing. 
but I, I basically just wrote down the joke. Like, I wrote down the, the bare minimum so that I would remember and get back to it. But I have to flesh it out and, and you know, like, make it a fully formed thing. But, yeah, so I see, I see your, your point that you, you know, you get the main point of it. And for me, I don't know if this is the same way with you. I have this incredible perpetual fear of forgetting ideas. Like, I, I am so terrified that when I'm inspired, you know, and I get all these great ideas tomorrow, none of it's going to be in my head anymore. Well, I forget ideas all the time. See, I don't. I'm just worried that I'm going to. See? And that's led to me writing all of it down constantly, almost obsessively. One of my, like, best creative periods of the day, which, you know, I know this, so I should really be sort of trying to fix this, is right before I fall asleep. Really? And I'll be lying in bed because it takes me a really long time to fall asleep usually, like at least half an hour sometimes, you know. I've heard other people say this too. This isn't true for me, but that's interesting. Yeah, so I'll be lying there and I'll, you know, start thinking about whatever project I'm working on. Sometimes it's my thesis, sometimes it's my short stories, or, you know, sometimes I'll even write poetry in my head and then I go, I'm going to remember this in the morning and it's going to be great. In the morning, I have no idea. I remember that I was (laughs) going to remember something totally amazing and I remember that it was just absolutely great like i fixed problems in my thesis right before falling asleep i fixed plot holes in my stories i've written amazing scenes all in my head but in the morning it's gone and i've tried getting up and writing it down but the moment i try to put pen to paper it vanishes too so i think really what i need to do is get one of those voice recorders Yes. And just make notes to myself, because I think if I was just sort of mumbling into a recorder, it might still be sort of subconscious enough that I'm not pulling myself fully out of that whatever place I go to right before falling asleep. Right. No, I um, I used to have that when I had a long commute. I guess that's the only kind of thing I can relate to there is I would have a very long drive and you get in that zone where, you know, you can you can operate a car, you can look out for traffic, but you, you, you're not really thinking entirely consciously. And... I would have a voice recorder in the car because sometimes awesome ideas would come to me and I could just drive for an hour and just say things and I'd get home and I'm like, this is pretty good. And I think it's that it's getting to that same place, almost like hypnosis, where you're just sort of vaguely accessing your subconscious kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's basically I think people say that because you're closer to sleep, mm-hmm. some of your like whatever your filters or whatever that keep you sort of functional as a human being or shutting down so you're, right. you're like some of the blocks or inhibitions or whatever are in there are gone so you have better access to that creative part well maybe that's why so many writers drink that I mean, might be. I, I say that as kind of a joke but really and and you know use lots of drugs yeah yeah I think Stephen King talked about it in his On Writing, which I just finally read. It's it's about going to that zone and, you know, like mm-hmm. closing the door. And I right. guess maybe if you practice it enough, you can do it sort of in your waking life to get into that place. But for me, it really works best right before I fall asleep. That that would drive me insane. My Actually, my most productive, like, mental time is uh, not after, not long after I wake up. Like, I mean, not right out of bed. But an hour or two, like after I've had some food and some coffee or whatever, like that's the perfect time for me. I have a couple of hours there where just anything that comes out is the best I can do. So it's really interesting that we're, we're sort of wired differently that way. Like I, I can produce during the day and sort of... Well, sure, I think we both down. can produce at, at different times. But I mean, your, your peak mental time is what I'm saying. 
my peak mental time is right before falling asleep, which is really useless. Yeah, that sounds like it. <laughs> and really frustrating, because I just keep going, oh, I had all these amazing ideas, and now I don't remember them. Oh, uh, that's the worst. Um, so let's talk about process a bit. Um, we had talked about this last time, about outlining, about planning. You, you just said sometimes you write down the bare bones of an idea, and then you come back to it. I mean, what? how much prep do you do? Do you just sit down and do it, or do you, do you plan it out? How does that work? Usually prep for me is, you know, come up with some sort of idea just in my head and mm -hmm. sit down and just start, you know, writing. Really? Yeah, I just, I totally, I work sort of based on scene or character, whatever pops into my head, and I just see where it goes, which is why you often see me frustrated on Twitter going, oh my god, I can't figure out the next part of the story. Well, yeah, I would tend to think that that kind of uh, approach would, would lead to you writing yourself in a corner from time to time. It happens sometimes, and then, you know, you it's, you go back and you fix it, or sometimes I don't even go back and fix it. Right now, I'm writing in a really sort of non-linear way, mm -hmm. where I'm just writing scenes as they come to me, and I'll organize them when I'm done. Well, and I think I think there's merit to that. For me, I haven't written a ton of fiction but when I have, outlining is key to me. I First I start with, you know, the, the idea. And I, I don't know, I've never been able to relate to people who sit around waiting for an idea. What should I write about? I, that's never a problem for me. I have so many projects to work on that if I suddenly find myself time to work on something, I'll go in, like I keep a file. I keep a, a big file of ideas that I've had and half-formed things. And if, if I suddenly find myself with a little extra project time, I'll say, well, time to work on this or this looks good now, or I'll combine these two things, or whatever. I just I see people all the time saying, well, it's writing time, what do I write about? I've never had that problem, and maybe it's because I do keep such ridiculous notes, and some of them are just like, maybe it would be nice to write science fiction sometime. Like, they're, they're vague sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the great thing is, and this is a stupid, you know, analogy... But I think of them as kind of like Legos. Like I got all these little pieces and I start snapping them together sometimes and seeing where it takes me. So I've had this idea, well, maybe this character would work in this setting and maybe this would work with this. Maybe I could turn this into a radio play. Maybe I could, you know, and then, then I have something. And it, it, that's just so completely different than you sitting down and, and writing a fully formed thing. I, I first start like that and then it's sort of notes to the point that they start taking shape of an outline and then an outline and then I actually write. Like, I can't imagine doing it your way. See, I've tried outlining and it really doesn't work for me because, like, the story is never fully formed in my head when I start and if I try to force it into a shape, it doesn't work. Like, it's very organic for me to write. See, and for me, it's very organic for me to outline because I think my brain naturally wants to make patterns out of things and it wants things to fit into a shape and to, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, scheduling and, and, and keeping, you know, structure and keeping a, a schedule. It's, uh, I want it to fit a, a neat little grid. And so things start sort of populating in the little boxes. You understand what I mean? Like... As the ideas are coming, it's like, okay, this goes here, this goes here, now I have a story. Yeah, no, that just, it doesn't work for me. It really does like, I don't know why, but it really, really no, doesn't. No, I mean, everybody works differently, and that's that's why it's good to have this discussion instead of me just sort of talking to myself. <laughs> Is, you know, we're all different. And, and the analogy we used last time 
was, you know, my approach is more foreplay and your approach is more just jumping in. Yeah, there's it's, it's fun to just jump in sometimes, you know, do it in the wrong order. I see to me, you know, it's good to get the 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 juices flowing for want of a better phrase. I was really struggling there for a better phrase, couldn't find it. <laughs> uh but you know, to get the, the, the just to, to gear up, to get the momentum. Momentum is so key for me. If if I'm at a stop, I can't just go. I have to start moving and then keep moving. See, but then on the other hand, sometimes my first draft mm-hmm. is basically an elaborate outline. Right. No, and I can see that. With your process, you would write something that is so incredibly rough that you would then go back and overhaul the entire thing. Whereas my ideal situation is... I write from the outline, and I'm two-thirds of the way there, and obviously editing still has to happen. But for the most part, I've done all the work on, you know, on the on the front end so that there's not much left, you know? Yeah. So, like, for example, for the story that I submitted to Machine of Death 2, mm-hmm. I had eight drafts or nine drafts. Right. Well, but part of that, too, was wasn't that, like, your first submission to a, a professional thing and trying to make word count and, and you know, fit certain criteria? Yeah, part of that was that, and, you know, incorporating feedback from other people. But usually before I even hand it off to anybody else, I've done at mm. least at least one full revision, sometimes two, depending right. on how much I have to change or add or subtract or rearrange. Sure. Now, see, to me, the way my notes go, it, it looks like a crazy person because I'm essentially having a conversation with myself, but... As the idea starts sort of pouring out, I do a lot of question. I do a lot of, well, where does where does this character go? What does this do? I'll basically write a bunch of notes, do an outline, and then after that, there's a few pages of questions, poking holes in it, trying to find problems with it, trying to make it all work. And then I'll do another outline that sort of incorporates all that, and then I'll do it again. And once, you know, once I look at the structure I've built and there's no holes in it, then I can start writing. So it seems like I'm I'm doing a lot of that, you know beforehand whereas you're doing it after the fact and and no one is better than the other i think what makes you and i both effective at completing things is we understand the way our minds work and we try to plan around that yeah i think working the way you do would drive me crazy because i'd be just like raring to go i'd be like i just want to i just want to get into it i just want to you know get into that scene and just see what happens and i it would drive me crazy well, and, and I can't help but go back to that metaphor where it's so much more satisfying to build up for a while first. I just, no, no. <laughs> I, just getting right in there is what I uh, like. Just getting see, think, right in the it, middle of things and just getting all I'm messy. Not even sure what we're talking about anymore. Yeah, me either. <laughs> um, uh, but, I mean, it's it's like that for me for for. Not just fiction as well. I mean, we're trying, you know, we we don't really produce exactly the same things. I mean, you, you're doing a podcast now, but hey, who isn't? Um, exactly. We, we came but, late to that bandwagon, just I, like you we know came what? late to blogging. The, the thing is, I don't think there is a late or an early. I don't, like, I, I felt like when we started in 2009 that we were, like, the podcast thing had passed. I don't think that's it. I think cream rises to the top, and I think if you're good, you'll, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like... I tried to blame our failed webcomic on the fact that there was a glut of webcomics out there, but I still see new webcomics come out every day that become successful. It's just that it wasn't good enough. And I'm okay with that. It was just something I wanted to experiment with. But, you know, I think 
if you make a podcast that is unique and has a voice that no one else has and it's well produced and I think regularity is a key factor there as well, you know, I think you'll do well. Well, let's hope so. And that's the thing a lot of people don't get and I'm not really attacking anyone and I think a couple of people listening to this might take it that way because I know a couple of people like this and it's not really about that. I think regularity is important because people on the internet have a very short attention span and I, we can speak to this, I think, both of us as people on the internet who look at things. If, you know, I don't know if you use an RSS reader or not. I do. Where, you know, things just show up for me. And if I don't see new updates from a site in two or three weeks, four weeks, I'll just kind of forget about it. Like, I think people need to be reminded every now and then, like, we exist, we're relevant, we're doing something, you know? Yeah. I do have an RSS reader, and yeah, I actually need to clean it up because there's a whole bunch of people who haven't posted any content in so long that I don't remember <laughs> the last time they posted content, and I don't think they ever will again, and I just need to get rid of them because my well, exactly. list is really long, and you know, I care about the people who update and have things to say. Exactly, and, and that's why sometimes if it's a little rough, that's okay, because I, I kind of like watching things grow sometimes, and that's, you know, that's my process. And that hasn't changed since the last thing that I recorded on this subject, which is, you know, I just jump in and do it, which is weird. It's sort of the opposite of what we were just talking about. Yeah. When it comes to actual producing of things, I usually have no idea what I'm doing. I usually just jump in and go and gradually find my way around it. And I feel like inevitably I'm ashamed of the first stuff that I put out, but, you know, who cares? I'm doing it. I'm doing something. I'm getting it out there. And I would love to just say, hey, our first 50 podcasts don't exist, but I, I can't do that. People have yelled at me for that, so. Well, if you said that, then, you know, my first appearance would be gone. But other well, than, I would obviously I mean, save highlights. Other than that, like, I totally get you, and, like, I look at the early reviews I wrote for the blog, and I'm just like, oh, these are not very good. But, you know, well, it's, it's a process. Look at the earliest Look at the earliest fiction you wrote. I'm sure it probably makes you cringe because everyone's like that. Oh, I don't look at my juvenilia. It makes me <laughs> depressed. Yeah, we just moved and there is a box of stuff that I've been saving from high school and I am half tempted to just lose that between the old house and here because I keep saving it and it's I, I never am going to work up the nerve to look at something that I wrote when I was 14. I just, I can't. See, I'm going to save it. But I'm going to eventually write a will, and there's going to be a clause in there about just burning the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> Splash this with gasoline and throw a match on it. Do not look at it first. If you look at it first, I will know, and I will I will find come back you. from the grave and haunt your ass. In a, in a really unpleasant and not cool way. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. That is not how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered with my good stuff, not, uh, not that. <laughs> Yeah, my whiny teenage poetry. Well, and and the thing is, you know, you look at artists who who die and who have a bunch of unfinished stuff, and you got to wonder the people who are then digging it up and publishing it. You, you got to wonder that's not what they wanted. Yeah, like probably we, not. We heard a few years ago. Right? Was it a few? I don't remember when it was. J.D. Salinger died, and apparently he just kept writing novels and never published them. And I don't know if it was his wish. Like I don't have this in front of me. To know, you know, whether he wanted that stuff published posthumously or if he was just doing it for the exercise. But if the latter is the case, fucking respect his wishes and don't publish it, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, sure, you might make a nice buck off the royalties or something, but, you know, unless he expressly said, please publish this in case I die, you should be leaving well enough alone and just assume that he wanted to keep it, you know, to himself. I, the, uh, um, an example that I'm more familiar with is uh, Douglas Adams, who I've I've written about being the laziest person in the world and the person who basically through inaction inspired me to do things because I don't want to die with all that stuff undone the way he did. But when he died, he had, I think, the first six chapters of a rough idea of a novel on his hard drive, and they took it off his hard drive and published it. I just, I feel like that's not cool, you know? Like, yeah, he didn't get much done, but... I don't think he was happy with that or he would have done something with it, you know? Like, that's just not cool to me. Yeah, it's it's really not cool. But, you know, people like to make a buck. Yeah, well, I suppose that's true. And that's the, that's, that's the one nice thing about us toiling in obscurity is, you know, that's not really an issue for us. Yeah, no one will care about our unpublished work. I don't know. The thing is, and I don't know that I've ever talked about this before, the thing that I love about the internet about this venue that we have that we're that we're doing right now but also that we we both use for publishing our thoughts and our our you know stories and everything else we you know we didn't have this 15 20 years ago like this has completely changed like i like to think and it's not always the case but i like to think that the internet is a meritocracy that everyone has equal footing and everyone can be heard and the people that will be heard are the ones making the best stuff. And I love that. Well, that's a little bit idealistic. But yes, it's it's. In nice. my experience, it's generally true, though. People usually don't hit websites that deliver garbage. Or at least, you know, if they're delivering garbage, they're delivering garbage that is calculated to appeal to a certain mindset. But, you know. Like, I know all kinds of success stories of people who just started making something in their bedroom and eventually became an internet sensation. I mean, that that happens all the time. Well, I guess that's true. I don't know. And if you look at, I mean, I know you and I kind of follow some different entertainment, so you might not know, you know, for instance, Homestar Runner. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those guys, but they, you know, they made a web cartoon on their own and they got it to a point where it was so successful that they could live off the merchandising, where they could sell t-shirts with their characters on them and make a living and that's you know that is amazing to me that is the ideal for me well that is pretty amazing and you know it's it's <laughs> not that i'm the intellectual you are by any means but it's it's basic you know marxism it's uh, the the means of productions are in the hands of the workers the did stuff you, isn't did, being what's that did you just make a communist statement i think you did i may very well have but only in terms of, of creativity, not in uh, economics, because no, 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 of course not. Of but course no, not. I, I, this is seriously something that I'm, I'm very passionate about. I love that we have this forum that you and I can make things that people will actually see. Yeah, it, it's a nice forum. I and like sharing my thoughts with lots of people. And, and it's easy to take, you know, to, to take for granted because you don't really think of it like that, but... This might be an age thing where I remember what it was like to write stuff that just got stuck away in a drawer and no one would ever see it. Whereas now, I still you know, write a lot of stuff like that. Well, okay. But my point is you didn't have the alternative. You didn't, you know, it would be much more difficult to just put it out there for everyone to see. And it's interesting that we're bitching about people who have that audience and aren't using it. 
when, you know, those circumstances didn't used to exist. Well, I guess maybe you used to write all those things down in letters and send them to people, maybe? I don't know that the equivalent of, say, a blog or a podcast would have been done that way. Well, no, it was a different kind of thing, but I think that's like the way you would have expressed your thoughts is through sending people letters. But even still, you're only addressing an audience of one that way. Well, unless you correspond with lots of different people. Well, right, but then you have to write a different letter to each person. You understand what I mean. It's not like you have to get on TV. I'm just being contrary. Of course you are. That's why I like you. Um, So, let's see. We talked about outlining. One of the things I really wanted to talk about was feeling on. Like, I don't know, being inspired. Feeling like you're delivering 100% of what you can deliver. This is a a terrifying thing for me when recording the podcast. Because I can do all the prep in the world. And then if I turn on the microphone and that day I just am tired or I'm just not feeling it. I'm so worried that, you know, it doesn't matter. That they're just not going to get you know, the best of what I have to offer. And I don't know how to be on. It just kind of happens or doesn't. Yeah, I think that's something that everybody sort of struggles with. I mean, I, I, I don't feel on most of the time, to be honest. And, like, I've experimented with, you know, writing in different spots or, you know, listening to different music and, you know, writing longhand, you know, on paper with a real pen and you know it's just it's really hard to be <laughs> oh, on you can mock me but i write that way too <laughs> most of those outlines that i do are on paper i don't start typing until i get to the point where i'm ready to you know make something yeah i'm, I'm very rarely like on and in the zone like even when i'm feeling sort of yeah i have a scene in my head but the moment i sit down to write it down i'm just kind of like eh, i don't feel like sitting at the keyboard well see and i think it's important not to sit around waiting for that because you could wait your whole life and it just won't happen. But exactly. On the other hand, I don't know, maybe this might be unique to me doing something sort of performance based where I don't know, for instance, how a stand up comic does it. If you just aren't feeling it, how do you still get on stage and have energy and make people laugh? Cocaine? Like, <laughs> that was a long time ago and Robin Williams has recovered. Um, <laughs> no, that, that may be it. And, you know, I mean, uh, Prescription methamphetamines have helped me a bit, but that's that only goes so far, you know? The, some days my brain just says, nope, not coming in today, calling in sick. And, you know, it's it's kind of hard when uh, when I have a microphone in front of my face and it's like, well, time to, time to be brilliant. What now? And that's why prep is so key to me is that might not completely compensate, but it's nice to have that to fall back on and say, here are my notes. Here's, you know, I always have something that I wrote when I was feeling more in that frame of mind earlier. Yeah. I think for the podcast, it's going to be sort of key because usually we do have sort of like a pretty good idea of what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're, we are prepped for that. And it's important because we record really late at night, you know, right. around that time when I get sort of tired because I'm not the night owl I used to be. So I think prep for that is going to be really important. Otherwise you're just going to hear me being tired. Well, and that's the thing. If you guys just, sort of signed on Skype and hit record and just started talking, you know, that might not be as, you know, as polished as if you had written down some thoughts. But uh, on the other hand, you don't want it to sound wooden like you're just reading a prepared statement either. I mean, it's a, it's a hard balance to find, I think. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, for, for that purpose, there's going to be the sort of semi-wooden actual review part. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we're still doing reviews, and they're never going to come off as supernatural, I think, you know? Right. Because it's a review. Well, sure, but if you're doing discussion or if you're doing, you know, like, if nothing else, just practicing reading prepared stuff is going to sound more natural and fluid the more you do it. Like like anything, like we've been talking about, if you keep doing it, you'll get better at it. Yeah, exactly. Practice is key. Without yeah. practice, you're never going to get better. Exactly. And just show up every day and do it. You know, I mean, you were you were reading the King book, and like he said, it's you know, you have to treat it like a job. I mean, you have to show up every day and, and put in the time. Yep, and you can't just expect it to magically happen for you. You have to really, yeah. you know, keep yourself to your goals. And there's so many people who are so keen on reading books like that and, and you know, reading blogs and listening to podcasts and whatever that, you know, I mean, we're probably speaking to them now and they're doing it again. You know, people who want to hear how to be inspired, but I, I think it comes back down to caring. If it's not important to you, you can be, you know, you can know as much as there is possible, it's possible to know about writing, but if you don't actually start doing it, it's pointless. Yeah, and I think we were talking about earlier that I read the King book, yes, and, you know, I was reading it, and I just went, okay, yeah, I, I know that, and yeah, okay, I, I, I do that, and yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've done that in the past, and, you know, it was more an affirmation of my process than it was sort of like a guidebook to how I could be productive. Well, right, and, and my response to that was, I can't ever, like, I've had tons of things inspire me over time, like things that I, I look at and I say, yes, like that essay we were talking about earlier about caring. But it's very rarely when I deliberately sit down to read a book about something that that happens. It usually happens by accident or something I discover in the process. Like, I, I can't think of a time I've ever just sat down to read a book that's supposed to be inspiring and be inspired. It doesn't really work like that for me. Yeah, so I don't know why people keep doing it. You know? Well, on the other hand, we are recording a podcast about inspiration, so, you know, we're kind of feeding into the machine our own selves. I'm not sure we're talking about inspiration. I think we're talking about sitting our asses in our chairs and getting stuff done. That There's a well, difference. Well, I suppose that's true, yeah. Um, so one of the things that really, for me, like one of my, my key motivations is, and I think I talked about this in my in my previous talk with Bob, is that body of work approach, that idea that when I die, I will have huge piles of stuff. And it seem, you know, it, it seems sort of, I don't know, like from the outside, I can see, well, yeah, so you wrote, so what? But to me, that's the most important thing is to have, you know, have that body of work. And I'm usually ashamed of most of it. Like I said before, it's usually only about the most recent 10% or so that I'm, I'm really happy with. But as long as that keeps happening, then I know I'm improving. Yeah, I I write for therapy. <laughs> well, I mean, people's motives are different. I do it because I love it. I truly like, especially when we just came back with Sarcastic Voyage a couple of months ago, I felt like we were doing some of the best work we'd ever done. But more importantly, I felt like I was enjoying myself more. It's like you said with um, turning the blog into a podcast. You weren't feeling it anymore, so you reconfigured, you changed some things around, and now you're excited again. Yeah, and sometimes you just have to accept that a project isn't working the way that you envisioned it, and you have to let that original go, and you have to come up with something that excites you and that makes you happy. Well, and I think one of the things we hit on last time uh, in in the previous uh, recording that we lost was um, self-knowledge is a really big 
part of this. It's knowing what you're capable of, knowing what your limitations are, knowing how to work around those limitations, and using that self-knowledge to your advantage. Yes, tricking yourself into being productive because exactly. you are your own worst enemy. I, that was that was another thing I remember last time too. We hit on a lot of cliches. Yeah, we talked only in cliches. And and yet they all managed to be true. That's the thing, they come from somewhere. And the one that always hit me was a writer writes, which sounds so stupid until you have that little epiphany. Oh yeah. Yep, a writer writes, and you can't edit a blank page is one of my new favorites, which I don't know if it's quite a cliche yet, but it will be if it's not. (laughs) Well, if you say it seven or eight more times, we'll get it started. If if our audience, if I know one thing about our audience, they love uh, they love catchphrases. So, well, guys, girls, you cannot edit a blank page. Yes, and a writer writes. Yes. No, I I went through this period in my sort of late teens, early twenties, where while I do have some embarrassing stuff stuck in a box somewhere, for the most part, I don't have much of anything, because I thought being a writer was more important than writing. Like the the image, the discussing it with other people, the you know, the whole the whole trappings of analyzing and discussing and learning about the process, but I never actually did anything. And I had sort of the epiphany one day, wait a minute, I'm not a writer at all. I haven't written anything. Yeah, I did that in sort of my uh, early 20s or so because I wrote I wrote prolifically between mm-hmm. a sort of 16 and 19 I wrote like a poem a day and short stories and all kinds of stuff and then I just sort of stopped but in my head I was still a writer and then mm-hmm. one day I sat down and I was like you know I haven't actually written anything in like a couple of years I need to stop calling myself a writer or I need to you know start writing well and that's to me What's weird is once I started writing again, and I feel like I'm doing that regularly now. I mean, we prepare stuff for, for both shows to the point where I feel like I'm a writer. I still don't really call myself one. I don't know. I just It doesn't really matter to me anymore. Like, I'm not so concerned with the image. I'm more concerned with just what more can I actually do, you know? Like, shifting that gear between how it looks and what I'm actually doing. Yeah, between the superficial and the substance, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Although, you know, listen, writing Nick and Willikins isn't exactly substantive. Let's not get carried away now. Okay, well, I apologize then. <laughs> um, one thing I've, I've really enjoyed, and, and you and I have had similar experiences in sort of different venues here, is having people to work with, like having collaborators, having, like, we basically have a writing staff on Sarcastic Voyage now. Like, there's me and Matt, but then there's a bunch of regular contributors, and they jump on Skype, and we discuss things, and we write scripts, and we punch each other's stuff up. And that energy and, and even a bit of competition has really, I think, made me better at what I do and made the, the, the finished product so much better. And I, I think you've had different but similar experiences. Yeah, I think, you know, collaborating with Amanda on the blog has been really good because she and I work really well together and we've worked Mm -hmm. together in the past. Like we used to, maybe I shouldn't admit to this and, you know, out (laughs) us both here, but we used to play um, role-playing games over email on like Yahoo groups and it was like amazing and we would just write all these awesome characters and now with the blog, it's been really great and she's like, She's sort of my alpha reader, reader. Like when I finish something, like the roughest draft that I'm willing to send out usually goes to her and she sort of reads it and goes, 
okay, Irene, this is why you're stuck. These are the mm-hmm. the themes that you really are sort of hinting at, but not <laughs> right. really bringing out. And I think if you focus on these things, your story will work way better. And usually I go, duh. And then I sit down and I fix, you know, all the stuff and it works so much better. But I can't see it myself. So she's right. been really great for that sort of collaboration. No, and finding that trusted person is, is very important, I think. Um, the the first thing that I ever collaborated on, like I did a bunch of stuff on my own for a while. I wrote some essays. I did some other little short films and little things. But the first thing was uh, my friend, Famous Mark, who I often go on and on about, who is now a professional uh, video game uh, producer. Um, he was making Flash games sort of out of his basement. And that's and what ended up getting him noticed and got him into this career but he was making these flash games and he and I collaborated on a game. We pretty much from start to finish made it. And, um, that was the first time like finishing it and hearing my words out of the, the mouths of actors and seeing animations based on characters that I created. Like Mark and I did that together because we work so well together. And because, you know, and that was the first time I realized, wait a minute, this is what's missing. I'm doing okay. But working with someone is so much more rewarding because, you know, it's another cliche, but it's more than the sum of its parts. And I, I'm very fortunate, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I'm very fortunate to have found Matt because I think he and I complement each other, you know, pretty well in that same way. Yeah, and and the other thing that's sort of in there, in this discussion, but not, is the idea of competition. Right. Like, for me, this is a really big thing, and I think this is why I managed to do National Novel Writing Month twice mm-hmm. successfully, is that sense of competition. It's, you know, being on Twitter and seeing other people saying, oh, well, I, like, did, like, two times my word count today, and me going, wait, I haven't sat down at all, and, right. you know, feeling that need to at least make the day's word count, if not beating that other person's word count, because that's, like... As soon as you give me a little hint of competition, I'm all over that, which is probably a character flaw, but it, like, gets me going in a way but again, that nothing using, else does. Using your neuroses to, to, you know, turning them around to your benefit and using them to motivate you. Like, that's exactly what we were talking about, and that's what you're doing. You Maybe it is a little unhealthy, but you're making it work for you. Yeah, but the, my problem is, is that when I don't have that sense of competition, there's not that urgency there, and then sometimes I totally stagnate because I'm not competing against anybody. No, I, I can see that, and and I love having bragging rights of saying, you know what, I've created, you know, I don't know, 150, 200 podcasts, something like that, you know, and, and the unspoken question, the thing that I would never say because it's obnoxious as hell, but I know it's in the back of my head somewhere, is what have you done? You know, like I know it's there somewhere. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's there for me too somewhere, you know. And you know, I I mean, in keeping with the the previous bonus episode about not being a dick, I try not to say that to people. But, you know, I can't I can't deny that I think that sometimes. Yeah, and I honestly, like I might still do National Novel Writing Month this year just <laughs> because people are going to start talking about their word counts on Twitter and I'm going to go, I can't resist. And I'm just going to come up with an idea at the, you know, last possible moment and just do it because i mean the last couple of novembers have been really insane for me and really like realistically there's no way i should have been able to write fifty thousand words and still get everything else i was doing done and i somehow did so you know the insanity will take hold again before i can't remember if it was last year or the year before but you had one year where i just could not believe you were doing it 
like you were busy both years, but there was one year where it was just nuts for you and you still managed and impressed the hell out of me. I think it might have been last year because last year like like was like the November from hell for me, so Possibly. It may have been the year before, if only because and, and we certainly don't need to get any details, but you, you had some, you know, some personal stuff going on and I was kind of impressed that you uh were able to sort of lift yourself up and, and get going with all the, you know, all the horrible things you had going on. Yeah, I don't know. Both of my Novembers have been full of crappy personal stuff on, like, different levels. Right. So. Uh, but again, sometimes you said, you know, before that it's therapy for you. So maybe in a way that helped you. Yeah, I think the first one definitely, like, is a novel of its time. And they chose. And right. I mean, I think. Yeah, you were it's, going through a specific thing, and that story reflects that. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's really good. And once mm-hmm. I'm done with my thesis, I really, really want to go back and finish editing it because I got about a third of the way through, and then I just, mm-hmm. you know, had to set it aside because it was going to take over my life, and I couldn't let it at that point. Right. But I think, you know, I still I think about it all the time, and I really want to work on it, and, you know, it's. It's sort of part of my subconscious probably at this point, that novel, and it needs to, you know, maybe find a home one day where other people can read it. Right. I See, for me, I don't know, once, like, and, and it's not finished, so that doesn't really apply to what I'm saying here, but once I've finished something, once it's out there and I've put it out there, I just kind of forget about it. It's it's almost like, I don't know, I forgive the, the analogy, but I can't think of a better one. It's like giving birth. It's like, it's out of me now, time to do something else. I think because it's not edited. Well, that's the thing; it's not finished yet. So, yeah, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't really apply here. But I mean, do you, do you feel that way about other things? Like, once you've completed a project, do you still obsess over it, or? Um, pretty much not. Like my most recent example would be the story I submitted to Machine of Death, and mm-hmm. basically I hit submit, and I. Like I'm, what? I'm, I'm thinking about you know the fact that I'm going to hear back from them soon. Yeah, you're thinking about the submission process, but you're not really thinking about the story itself, right? No, not really. I, I sort, I'm, I sort of thought about its themes, mm-hmm. a little bit. Like not about like going back and working on it, but you know, sort of thinking about what exactly is it that my story said, and you know, does it fit with my general sort of world view, or because there's like. I don't know. You've read it, so you know what it's about. And mm-hmm. I sort of, I started worrying that maybe I portrayed my main character in a way that was counter to my beliefs. So I was sort of mm-hmm. worrying about that kind of thing. But I wasn't worrying about, you know, like fixing it up because the story is what it is. And right. I came to the conclusion that it's, it's a story about the crushing oppressiveness of ideology. So I was okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, for me. I, I, I this the reason I wanted to talk about that is because this came up in in my last talk with Bob, which is finishing something to your satisfaction. And his whole thing was he wants it to be polished and he wants it to be good, and that's a valid point. But to me, there has to be a point where you just release it and move on to the next thing. And the way I've structured, the way I understand my process, and the way I've I've sort of built things is I you know I have a weekly like or sarcastic voyage is biweekly right now. Like, and we have a nice sort of schedule going where we plan for a week and we write and we rehearse and then we record, which works really well. Um, and when it's done, I don't think about it anymore. And people think I'm being, I don't know, standoffish or, or dense or whatever, 
when they try to talk to me about something I did two weeks ago, but I seriously just completely put it out of my mind. That's done. Like, the whole process is completing a thing and moving on to the next thing. And I will look at what I did, and I will say, I could do this better. We should do more of this. We should do less of this. This works. This doesn't. But beyond that, I have, I, I just, I don't even think about it anymore. It's gone, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, for the blog, it was mostly like that for me, you know? It's like, write the review, post it, and, you know, sort of forget about it. But, but if think... someone were to say to you in three weeks, uh, I liked this line from your blog, would you remember having written it, or? Probably not. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I'm talking about, is, is rather than polishing one thing, putting something out there and then putting something else out there and then putting something, you know, letting it evolve and letting it be flawed. But each, each new thing you create is a little less flawed than the last versus having one perfectly polished thing, having a series of things that's a little better each time. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I definitely think the blog is an example of that, Mm -hmm. but you know, I don't have a body of published published fiction that I could point to and say, yeah, you can see, you know, the progression here. And no, no I don't you have a body remember. of fiction. You have written things to well, the point where you can say, this is my early style. This is my later style. You know, you have enough of a body of work published or not, I think. No. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter if I say it about stuff that nobody knows about. Uh, I, I think I, to me, that's splitting hairs. You may think differently, but to me, you're, if you're holding yourself accountable, then, you know, you're accountable for the for the quality as well. I guess, yeah, yeah. It's just sometimes with the stuff that, like, sometimes I'll abandon a, a draft if I, you know, get sick of a story or I decide, you know, I've taken this as far as I want it to go. Right. So, you know, there's some of my stuff that's really polished and some of my stuff that's basically an elaborate outline and then I said, yeah, I don't feel like this anymore. I don't want to write it anymore. So I guess you could say, I don't know. It doesn't really reflect my body of work. It reflects the fact that sometimes I get sick of my own ideas. <laughs> That's fair. I guess I guess because I understand like the way my own brain works, and it's probably different than yours because you, you're pretty good at knowing what you're capable of, I know that it's way easier for me to just create one small thing and move on to the next small thing and gradually, you know, things will get better and I can look at like the whole goal for me, like I said, is to look back and say, okay, the last 10% has been great. And and if I'm always doing that, then I always know it's getting better. And that's sort of the point to me is having that constant evolution and constantly moving forward and getting better. See, I imagine that my work has progressed. It's just maybe I can't see it. That could be, do you read your old stuff? Uh, not really. I try not to. It just it makes me uncomfortable because I keep going. I could have done this better, which is probably just proving your point. But yeah, I, I think it does actually. I think that's I think... why I can't listen to our old stuff. Like, where for, for Emerald City in a few months, we're working on a best of CD, which means I effectively have to listen to the last 120 shows, and I don't want to do that. We were terrible. <laughs> I know other people don't see that, and people misinterpret that as as false modesty or as as being self-deprecating that's not it it's just i know what i'm capable of and i know we're only just now starting to do what we're capable of back then we were just flailing and it's it it, it, it almost to the extent of that high school stuff you and i were talking about earlier it, it embarrasses me it makes me visibly blush to think that i was that terrible 
Yeah, I guess because I've been writing so sporadically, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily even have the body of work to do it with. That's fair, but I think I think your unique circumstances are that you're using so much of that same brain power in the academic field that you just exhausted and you don't have time to write right now. But I think under, you know, all things being equal, I think you would. I get the feeling that you would be constantly producing things. And, I mean, I had a really productive summer, mm-hmm. or early summer at least, late summer, just I don't even know what happened, but early summer I was really productive and usually that's sort of my pattern is that you know during the sort of school year I'm doing school stuff and then in the summer when I have time and when my brain you know has sort of decompressed a little I have time for creative stuff right see and for me uh, I mean I, I deliberately took a job that doesn't require any creativity of me I mean it, it challenged me it challenges me in certain ways but for the most part you know, I, I don't feel like that part of my brain is, is exhausted when I come home and it's time to write. So it sort of adds to my whole momentum thing where I'm already active. I'm already doing something. Why not get in front of the keyboard, you know? Yeah. I think in the long run, my education will help my writing just because, you know, I like writing that is sort of heavy in illusion and sort of references to other works and really sort of intertextual. So, you know, having read so much will definitely help me with that, you know, but only five people in the world will, you know, appreciate that kind of writing. <laughs> so I'll well, always be obscure. So, you know, I can relate, believe it or not, I can relate to you with that. Not, you know, not exactly the same, but um, there was, uh, and again, I know we don't always have the same pop culture frame of reference, but uh, Arrested Development was a, was a show that was out a few years ago. It was a, a big favorite of mine. I'm sure you've at least heard of it. Um, it was very dense, very layered comedy. There was stuff going on on the surface. There were a lot of weird meta things happening. And it really inspired me. And my writing has a lot of things like that now where there will be jokes hidden in places that you don't know to look for them. And because I, I'm, I tend to be kind of deadpan, I don't think most people get half of the, the jokes that are in there. And I'm not saying... I'm brilliant and you don't appreciate me, audience. I'm saying my writing style has evolved to the point where sometimes I don't find the direct joke because I'm trying so hard to be clever. Yep, that can happen. It, it sounds like a similar thing to what you're talking about, where, you know, being being intertextual and being, you know, referencing lots of different things and, and alluding and, and so forth... Sometimes, maybe on the surface, it doesn't look like you're just telling a straightforward story. But, you know. But if you dig into the layers, it's brilliant. Exactly. So, you know, my my education will pay off one day, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> well, you, you like to tell yourself that, certainly. I'm just going to keep telling myself that. Otherwise, you know, what am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> well, you know, I have I have that natural disdain for people who, who are educated because I'm a college dropout. So, you know, there is that. Well, I'm going to lord my doctor over you when I get it in, you know, seven years or something. Yeah, and I still won't have my associate's degree, so lord away. Oh, I will. Seven years from now, we're on. (laughs) Oh, you still won't be as old as I am in seven years, so there's that. You know, if if I could catch up to you, I might try, just for the (laughs) sake of doing it. That would be a feat. All right. Well, I feel like it's time to wrap this thing up. Any any final thoughts? Any things you anything you think we should have covered? Any any thoughts? Um, if you want to be productive, 
Stop listening to podcasts about productivity. Stop reading books about productivity and sit your ass down and do something. Yes, be willing to sacrifice the things that aren't as important to you. Make it important enough that you find time for it every day. Otherwise, you're just making excuses and lying to yourself. You know, all successful people have said, this is the most important thing in my life, and I will sacrifice everything else in order to accomplish this. So if you want to, you know, write stories or make podcasts or whatever it is that you feel like you want to do, if you're not making time for it, maybe you don't really want to do it. Well, and that's the other thing. A lot of people think they should be writing because, hey, all my friends are, you know, I could do that. Maybe you don't want to. Why beat yourself up if it turns out you're not really that interested in it anyway? And I will guarantee you, people will not judge you if you say, this is not what I want to do. But they might secretly judge you if you, you know, keep saying you want to do it and then you never do. Right. We'll certainly be secretly judging you, but we wouldn't say it because we're nice people. Yes, I'm secretly judging everyone all the time for not being as amazing as I am. Yeah, that's the thing, is, you know, we're better than you and we know it. That's why we're here talking to you about how much stuff we get done all the time. That's right. Isn't it great being awesome? Oh, it's so good being awesome. They should pay us for being awesome. Damn right they should. Hey, did you guys know you could donate to the podcast? Uh, We're taking, uh, (laughs) we're raising funds right now, speaking of that. Um, So, yeah, check that out. I'll put the note in the... I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes, and I'm sure after us being, you know, arrogant jerks to you, you'll be wanting to fork over money left and right. Oh, they know we were kidding. Sure. Absolutely kidding. We were just kidding. All right, Irene. Absolutely. We're always kidding. Look, it, it, if if you're ever offended by anything I say, don't worry, I wasn't talking about you. And everybody knows that I'm never serious. Well, and that's the thing. I think both of us are so deadpan that I'm worried that they're not going to get, the, you know... We're both passionate and fairly jovial people. I'm really very nice, I promise. Um, I don't know that I'd go that far with myself, but yeah, what the hell. And on that note, (laughs) that is all from us. Thank you, Irene. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This show is produced by me, Ron Algarwatt, and featured Irene. To learn more about me, go to algar.com, double A-L-G-A-R. Thanks for listening, and be sure to eat at least three full servings of Pepperidge Farm Goldfish per day.